0: The Ime Odoka situation in Boston continues to be bizarre. And we've got football that we get to in five minutes with a massive game this weekend between the Bills and the Dolphins. All the NFL, it's Canty and Carlin. We have got you covered. Pillar to post, baby, at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888 1st up, let's get a couple more of these calls in on the Adoka situation in Boston. We're going to go A.J. in Los Angeles up first this hour on ESPN Radio. A.J., how you doing, bud? Doing all right.
1: I love the show. And I think the thing that everybody fails to realize with this relationship, it happened in the it happened and it involved the workplace person that still resides in the Celtic organization. So now the Celtics already had rules and regulations with you know fraternization with other team members and staff and everything else. That's fine and dandy. But because Email Mudoka is a head coach, this other person who we do not know. But we possibly do know they're not at the same level of a head coach. The Celtic organization had to act in their best interest as an organization so that this doesn't, you know, blossom into something else to where now the NBA has to get involved. They did it within their own organization. They tried to do as best as they can, but then they're also looking forward to any forward implications that could come of a later date to where if this does blow up. And now it gets bigger than what it does. You well, think they have I think the other thing the here, AJ, and
0: the, listen, they're obviously protecting themselves, but my sympathy level, which wasn't high to begin with uh, on this situation, uh, sinks immensely when you hear that whatever was going on, he was told to stop and warned about it and didn't. So that to me is how we are where we are right now. Yeah. Like when you get the warning, shut it down, and then you don't. I mean, you did this to yourself to begin with, and now there's even a little bit more thought that, like, hey, you had every opportunity to, to fix what was a problem.
2: And I also think we have to be careful with operating with the assumption that this female staffer is still a member of the Boston Celtics. We, we don't know We anything. don't know what's happened. We don't know whether she resigned. We don't, we don't know what's happened, you know, during this month-long investigative process. We're not going to get the findings. We're not going to get that report because of the potential implications, the liability that the Boston Celtics might have to deal with. So we're going to be left with a lot of questions, Carlin. And right now, based on the lack of information, we have to defer to the discretion of ownership and team president, Brad Stevens, when it comes to the discipline handed down to Eme Adoka. Jermaine
0: is up next. TJ in California. What's going on, TJ? Hey, what's up, fellas?
1: I mean, this, You just gave me a key piece of information that I didn't hear. I didn't hear that he was warned to stop this relationship, and and he didn't. We had Gary Gary Washburn
0: on last hour. Gary Washburn covers the Celtics uh, for the Boston Globe, and he said last hour that whatever it was that was going on, it was not something that was a one-time thing. It was something that they knew about and told him to stop, and he had been warned about it. Right, then now I can't defend him, because I was going to be like, man, Brent Favre just stole $5 million from poor
1: people, and we're talking about a consensual relationship between adults every day on every network, and we ain't even
3: talking about this dude stealing $5 million. You are 100% I mean, right about that.
0: Yeah, I, And listen, I think that's fair. We have not talked about Favre. Listen, Favre is a bad guy to begin with. And this is just I mean,
2: it just it, <laughs> confirms what we already thought we knew about Brett Favre, but not not to conflate the things right. and, and to get back to the, the topic at hand. Like with when it comes to Emei Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe, he did say that the Celtics organization did not just find this out when they launched the independent investigation with the law firm this summer. This didn't happen just a month ago where they found out about the inappropriate relationship. This is something that they knew prior to and essentially warned Ime Adoka against continuing that relationship. So, uh, again, this story has a ton of tentacles. We're we're, we're, we're trying to make leaps based on the, the pieces and bits of information that we've gotten. But the reality is that they're not going to be transparent because they're protecting their own interests. And by there, I mean the Boston Celtics. Yeah. And
0: not, rightfully so. You're not going to get what you want, and that is to know every last detail. It's just not going to happen publicly unless it gets leaked out later. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. Boy, the Bills. I mean, you just heard Doug Brown on the update a few minutes ago. Without four defensive starters this weekend uh, against the Miami Dolphins, uh, let me see. That won't matter. Uh, <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, I shouldn't be that man. flippant
0: about it because of the weapons that the Dolphins do have. But yeah. we both feel or have felt this week that this is a game where the Bills may uh, announce their presence with authority, so to speak, on the Miami Dolphins. And and the Dolphins might get a real dose of what they're going to be up against this year. And look, this might be a day where you see Tua throw three interceptions and have a bad day. Mm-hmm. Has anything that we have heard in terms of the starters being out, four starters on defense being out, does any of that change your mind about this game?
2: Well, I, I am a little bit concerned about the secondary because you're talking about Micah Hyde potentially being out, Dane Jackson potentially being out. You're going to be leaning on Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam, their first-round pick from this year. Relatively young guys. This is Elam's a big, played well, though. He's played well, and this is a big spot for those guys because yep. Elam hadn't seen anything like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Yep. This is a little bit different. And so... You're wondering whether or not that's going to be a huge factor in terms of what the Miami offense is going to be able to produce. But you got to keep in mind, this offense makes a living on yards after catch. Matter of fact, they lead the NFL in yak, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, the Buffalo Bills, their defense is fifth best in terms of limiting yards after catch. So if you starve Tool by not allowing him some of those underneath throws for catch-and-run opportunities with his receivers – it's going to put a lot more pressure on him, and you also have to couple that with the fact that this defensive front from the Buffalo Bills can put a lot of pressure on the offensive line and put in, in getting after the quarterback. So that's the thing that I want to watch. I want to know if those defensive backs from the Buffalo Bills, those young guys, can hold up early enough in the down to give that defensive front the opportunity to put pressure onto it. Because if they do... I could see a multi-turnover game for Tua. I just think that defensive front is that good. One thing I'd ask you to keep in
0: mind, folks, when we're talking about the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins, the Bills have beaten the Dolphins seven consecutive times. Yes. And they are averaging 37 points over those games. Yeah. That doesn't have anything to do with defense. That has to do with scoring. And I don't believe for a second even with four starters out, that the Dolphins can keep up with the Bills offensively? I don't think so. I mean, if this is a shootout game, which I don't even think it'll be a full-on shootout, but if this is a game where the Dolphins have to purely outscore them, yeah, you know, like a, a high-scoring affair, do you think they're sticking with
2: them? It's gonna to be tough because Gabe Davis is gonna be back in that lineup for yeah. the Buffalo Bills. Like, I mean, he wasn't around on Monday night. Again, weaker they still, on defense. And they, a still hung, on they still hung 41 points on the Tennessee Titans. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know, Carlin. I'm with you on that one. If it has to be a shootout. You know, I struggle to see a path to victory for the Miami Dolphins. But listen, this is a team that was down three touchdowns going into the fourth quarter against the Baltimore Ravens. Yep, And they found a way to be able to win that game. They scored 42 points. Now and the Ravens' defense got on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Now, that, that, that defense for for the Miami Dolphins allowed 38 points to the Baltimore Ravens. And I'll say this, as much respect as I have for Lamar Jackson – that offense for the Buffalo Bills is a different level. So we'll have to see about that. But going back to that defensive front, I think that is the big equalizer for that Bills defense. Even with guys out on the back end, you're going to have Vaughn Miller and A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham and Greg Rousseau being able to put pressure on Tua. That's a problem for that offensive line for the Miami Dolphins. And also keep in mind, Teron Armstead is on the injury report. So if he ain't 100%, That's going to be a problem in terms of trying to figure out how they can protect against Von Miller wrecking the game for them. Carlin, the Buffalo Bills, second most sacks in the National Football League. Second lowest blitz percentage in the National Football League. (laughs) They ain't using extra guys to get to the quarterback. They're rushing for and playing coverage.
0: And as we have seen, that is a very, very good recipe for success in this league. Yes. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. So... Are the Dolphins actually for real? We're going to hear from one of our analysts who will give you an answer that may catch you off guard. That in just moments. And the biggest factor in the matchup between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers may not be the quarterbacks. Canteen Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN+. Plus.
4: We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Tua shotgun back to throw. Looking, looking, looking. Steps up, fires. Touchdown again. It's Waddle. Touchdown.
2: Oh my gosh. Tua looked around. It came back to Waddle. What a throw and
4: catch. With 14 seconds left. Oh. His sixth touchdown, Six pass, touchdown pass of the, the day
2: see that happening this weekend let me tell you what's not gonna happen this weekend six, six touchdown passes or
0: 469
2: yeah that's not, that's not gonna happen either no no mm. no no no. Mm. no. Mm.
0: go call matt schaub enjoy that celebration <laughs> enjoy that <laughs> achievement on your part <laughs> T. Yeah. T. and carlin Hell espn no. radio <laughs> exactly espn plus uh i do want to hear what ryan clark has to say when asked about whether or not the dolphins are a legitimate Contender, here he is. I think
1: there are teams somewhere in between there. I don't believe they are defense that is that bad that you're going to give up 35 points in three quarters weekly, or, that you're, or that's something that's going to become the norm. I also don't necessarily know that they're the four touchdowns in the fourth quarter type of team with the two long bombs against broken coverage uh, to Tyreek Hill. And so when you look at this team, this is the week, right? This is the true litmus test of who you are. You're playing against the Buffalo Bills, who will be banged up at the corner position, who won't be at full strength. This is a, t- a chance that if you're to a Tua Valoa, to say you've arrived.
0: I, I get it. I understand why you think that way with these guys out on defense, but it's just not something that I see given how, uh, how much success that you laid out a moment ago, uh, how much success they've had getting to the quarterback without blitzing and given the fact that you that's going to allow you to do nothing more than help out uh, and cover up some of the problems that you have uh, with those
2: injuries. And here's the other thing that we have to consider too, Carlin. Remember Tua a couple of weeks ago said that he has trouble sometimes seeing over the line. That's not something that's lost on the Buffalo Bills in that defensive front, especially when you're led by a veteran like Vaughn Miller. There're going to be times where they're saying, "You know what? We want to make sure we cage the quarterback and constrict the pocket." So there aren't those open windows for Tua to be able to see receivers downfield and target them. That's just as effective as being able to get knockdowns and sacks in some instances. So I look for them to be highly disruptive in this game. And everybody talks about how front and coverage works together. Well, guess what? If you cut the head off the snake and you're able to get to the quarterback and disrupt his timing – Then all of a sudden you got a better chance at your guys on the back end being able to hold up. The other thing that's going to be important and be interesting to see in terms of how Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator, tries to play the chess match with Mike McDaniel is rerouting the receivers for the Miami Dolphins at the line of scrimmage. Because if you look at the first couple of games against the Patriots, against the Ravens, there wasn't a whole lot of reroutes at the line of scrimmage because teams are afraid of the deep speed from Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And Tua is a rhythm passer. But if you have the opportunity to rush four, if you can reroute those guys at the line of scrimmage, even if every now and again one of those guys gets behind you, Carlin— chances are your rush is going to be able to get home because those guys have shown that they can be effective in getting to the quarterback. So that's one of the things that I'm interested to see how this offense from the Miami Dolphins reacts because I anticipate seeing more press coverage or more reroutes within the first five yards at the line of scrimmage and not allowing free vertical entry for those Dolphins receivers. What he said.
0: Canty and Carlin,
2: ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus. There's not a damn thing I
0: can add to any of that. (laughs) No, that, but I'm just that, saying I'm it's. it's it but you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's know what you're saying. Like you got guys that no, run. What I'm saying You're no.
2: going up against guys that run 4 2. Your DBs probably can't run with them the entire time. So what you have to do is try to reroute them, try to slow them down because Tua is a rhythm yep. passer. He wants to hit his back foot on a three step drop, on a five step drop, and let it go. Don't give him that opportunity. Make him clutch it, make him pump it. And guess what? By the time he does that, Vaughn Miller and Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham, they're going to be in his lap. Couldn't
0: have said it any better. That's, that's the point. I mean, it, it, it feels like it's pretty cut and dried on that front. And then you've got the Packers and the Buccaneers this weekend. And Aaron Rodgers, as we know, has never played well down in Florida. But, Chris, I really think this is more about the defenses than it's about the two quarterbacks mm. in the spot. Because these defenses are both pretty good. I do believe that the advantage belongs to Tampa on that front. I think they have a better defense. And until I really see Rodgers' weapons show that they're ready to be truly that, weapons, then I'm going to believe more in the ability of a good defense to contain that. And I have not seen through two games, even though against the Bears it looked a little better, uh, that they are all of a sudden turning it on and have figured it all out after week one. It wasn't just about how bad they were in week one. It Mm -hmm. it was about the fact that they are young. They are guys who have not played, and they have not played together very much. Maybe that's going to improve here, and I'm sure it will later in the year, but I think it's still very early to say that.
2: No, I'm with you on that one, and we've got a lot of show and prove when it comes to those young Packers receivers and how that's going to work with Aaron Rodgers. But the reason why I will give the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense the edge over the Green Bay Packers defense is because of the run defense that we've seen. I mean, think about the Chicago Bears and what they were able to do in the second half against the Packers. Khalil Mack, David yep. Montgomery. I mean, when they started they to move the ball, move down the ball their they ran the ball down their throat. You're not doing that against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now... The Akeem Hicks injury looms large because he's dealing with a foot. He's week to week. He's going to be out this game. So how does that affect their overall run defense, their front seven? I'm interested to see. But Todd Bowles will have a plan. They're going to get. They're going to disrupt what that offense wants to do. They're not going to give Aaron Rodgers the security blanket of being able to turn around and hand the ball to Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon. They are going to have to make plays in the passing game. And I'm not quite sure that those receivers are going to be up for the challenge that this Bucks defense is going to present.
0: Here's a stat that I love from this game this weekend. All right. You've got seven combined MVPs between Brady and Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Five to two.
2: <laughs>
0: Five to two. Yeah. Katie and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Um, here's Brady speaking into a microphone about having to score.
4: You can't score points if you fumble the ball, and you can't score points if you miss a fourth and one. So the only way to score is to do things you know, better and more consistently over the course of the drive all the way down in the red area and then ultimately put the ball in the end zone. So That
0: pretty much sums it up. I mean, if they don't make the kind of mistakes that they have made – they should still be okay, even though they have problems at receiver.
2: Yeah, but they got to sustain drives. They're 30% on third down. Well, to be exact, 32% on third down, and they're 25% efficient in the red zone. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't get down in the red area and settle for field goals. You got to score touchdowns, especially when you're playing against an Aaron Rodgers team, because that group is never out of the fight. So, you got to put teams like this away. And Tom Brady has shown the ability to be able to do that in the past. But again, you got to do it again when when Aaron Rodgers is coming to town, and you're not going to have the firepower that you're accustomed to working with. Sal Palantonio joins us in moments.
0: Last week he was uh, with me in the booth up in uh, Pittsburgh, and this week he will be on the sideline with us uh, up in Foxborough, as Chris and I will be calling the Ravens-Patriots game uh, this coming Sunday. So maybe, Sal, uh, we have worked together in this venue before, but maybe he can give you a little bit of insight into what you really have to look forward to is spending more time with me on
2: Sunday. All right, trust let's me. do it, let's do me, it.
0: You're going to want that insight.
2: No, I'm going to need it. Uh, Sal's got to give me the clip notes on how to work with Carlin. Here we go.
0: More importantly, Sal, in just moments, will answer the question, have the Eagles found their franchise quarterback? It's all on the way.
4: Next on ESPN Radio. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing?
0: Cantia Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN+. Plus. What a night it was earlier in the week for the Philadelphia Eagles and looking, starting to look a little bit clearer at their franchise quarterback situation. He is the great Sal Palantonio, ESPN NFL reporter, host of NFL Matchup, along with Greg Cassell and Darius Butler. That is Saturday mornings at 8.30 on ESPN2. And he will be with us on the sideline on Sunday uh, for the Patriots and the Ravens up in Foxborough. And, Sal, first of all, uh, Kenty is uh, big footing and taking your seat here uh, this weekend next to me in the booth since you were there last week. Uh, enlighten him as to what he might have to look forward to.
3: Well, first of all, I was keeping it warm for him. <laughs> uh, that goes without saying. But, you know, hold on one second, because I want to get uh, Mr. Canty's input. My wife is putting together my ensemble for Foxborough on the sideline, and she wants to know if I should go with the black sweater or the blue cardigan. So, Canny, Chris Candy, what do you think, blue cardigan or the black? Honey, hold on a second. I got. i I'm all with Canny and Carlin right now. Go ahead. What do you think,
2: Sal, I think you should try to coordinate with me so I would go black cardigan because I'm going to have on a black vest with a purple sweater underneath.
3: Okay, honey, Mr. Canty says we're going black. All there right. we it's go.
2: We're in. I got it right here.
0: We're ready. There we okay, go. Good. There we go. Listen, my outfit is not exactly planned out. I was gonna wear pants. I mean,
2: I... <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we're wearing black and purple, but we're completely objective in calling this game. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stay away from the purple. I don't need Mister Kraft visiting uh, the sideline and taking
0: my side. <laughs> <laughs> Sal, do the Philadelphia Eagles have their franchise quarterback after what we saw on Monday night?
3: I do believe that is true. Uh, I think there's four important points to make about Jalen Hurts after that Monday night game, Chris. I think the first and most important is that the debate over the franchise quarterback is over. It's over. Jalen Hurts is the franchise quarterback. And secondly, second most important point, as we like to point out in our show this Sunday, is you know the holy grail now in the NFL is to have a dual-threat quarterback who can win from the pocket. So Jalen Hurts, you know, had a completion rate of 84%. He was winning from the pocket in that game, and all of his off-season work obviously paid off. Third most important thing: we're in two games in, and the Eagles only have one turnover. You know, it's the old saying: if your number four hitter doesn't strike out, you're going to win a lot of football, a lot of baseball games, and if your quarterback doesn't turn the ball over, you're not going to lose a lot of football games. So that's the third thing. But most important, I really loved the mentality that Jalen Hurts had after the game, Chris. It's the coach's son's mentality. Don't take the cheese. He said, we, have a, we had a hell of a game, and we have a hell of a lot to learn. We had a hell of a game, and we have a hell of a lot to learn. Now, this is a young man in his second season as a full-time starter understanding the moment, not taking the cheese, realizing he's 2-0, the team's 2-0, they're right on the track, and all they got to do is keep getting better.
2: Sal, now he's going up against the quarterback that he succeeded in Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, and Carson has since bounced from Indy to the Washington Commanders. What have you seen from him through the first two games, and how important is this matchup going up against his former team in the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday?
3: You know, I don't think it's that important for Carson. First of all, if you were to give me one word uh, to answer your question, Chris, I would say it's been messy. It's been too messy. I I thought he would be more buttoned up. He has some good uh, defined throws in Scott Turner's offense. We've seen it in the first couple of games. And he is throwing the ball downfield for sure. But he's making too many mistakes. And, um, you know, that's the bugaboo for him. And he needs to snap out of it. Uh, Rivera and Turner have got to get him to snap out of it. I actually think... This is a really important game for the Eagles. Short week, go on the road, play your first divisional opponent. They always play a three-point game against Washington. It doesn't matter who's playing, whether it's RG3, Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins. I don't care who it is, Donovan McNabb. Go back. My first game I ever covered was Washington, Philadelphia. Donald, uh, Randall Cunningham was, 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 was the quarterback. It was a three-point game. They're always come down to three points. It's tough to go down there and play on a short week. Everybody in Philly knows it. And there'll be a lot of Eagles fans in the house. And they're expecting Jalen Hurts to be buttoned up. They want to see this thing keep rolling. Uh, So I think there's more pressure on Jalen, I do.
0: Sal Palantonio, ESPN NFL reporter joining us, host of NFL Matchup tomorrow morning, 8.30, also on Sunday morning and on ESPN Plus as well. Tomorrow morning it's on ESPN 2. Uh, Sal, um, give me a thought on this Patriots-Ravens game. Uh, you and I obviously saw the Patriots up close last week, and uh, you can see where their strengths lie in running the football, but you can see where their weaknesses are as well. How is this team going to even remotely contain Lamar Jackson?
3: Yeah, I don't know. I think that's the subject of uh, a major portion of our show on Sunday. In fact, I know it is. I mean, you know, Darius Butler does a great breakdown. And so does Greg Cosell. We, we, we dedicate a whole segment of the show to Lamar Jackson versus this uh, Patriots defense. I don't know how they're going to handle it. Um, uh, you know, defensively, I know the Ravens had problems with Miami last week. Their secondary banged up, also young, and, you know, they just have so much speed in Miami, and they got caught in the switches. That's not a problem playing the Patriots. So I don't anticipate the Ravens defense having the same kind of problems that they had down in Miami, Chris. How do they contain Lamar Jackson? Um, you know, you can't really do it uh, on a consistent basis for four quarters. It's really tough. And I got to tell you, I am really anxious to be on the sideline for the first time ever to get a platform view of the speed of Lamar Jackson and just what he poses. I'm looking forward to that aspect of covering the game more than anything else.
2: Sal, really quickly, because we're up against it, another marquee matchup in the Week 3 slate is the Bills taking a visit down to South Florida playing against the Dolphins. Now, through the first couple of weeks, I haven't seen a lot of secondaries try to reroute the Dolphins receivers, I guess they're afraid of their speed, but what are some of the things that you're expecting to see from that Bills defense in order to counteract what Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill bring to the table?
3: I hope it's better than what they had in Kansas City, Chris. <laughs> I mean, the last time we saw Tyreek Hill uh, saying anything to the Bills defense, it was he was waving bye-bye and moonwalking into the end zone. So th- they better do something. Jam them double them, uh, pass them off from corner to safety. Whatever you're doing, make sure it's different what you did in Kansas City in, in that overtime loss because that was a disaster. And that's the reason why the Miami Dolphins went out, and, you know, traded for him and paid him all that money uh, because he has been a difference maker. There's, there's no question about it. You could just see, Chris, the Dolphins had n- so much more speed on the field than the Ravens did in the fourth quarter of that game. It was was just a mismatch completely.
0: Sal, I will text you a picture of my outfit for Sunday so we can all coordinate together soon. (laughs) We'll see you up in Foxborough, Sal. Thanks. Really looking forward to seeing you guys. Thank you very much. A good time, Sal Palantonio, who will join us on Sunday. He'll be on the sideline. Chris and I uh, and Sal on the call of the Patriots hosting the Ravens. Uh, coverage begins on uh, most ESPN radio stations at 12 p.m. Eastern time for the one o'clock kick. Kevin Winter will have the pregame. It's Canteen Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. Up next, are we gearing up? For the Carson Wentz revenge game. Or is it just going to be a big flop? Canty and Carl on ESPN Radio. Uh, useless, pertinent. I don't know what this is. But, random. Random.
2: But then again, I don't always believe in coincidences. Yeah. So and when we're discussing Tuanon, it seems like this is something that makes sense. What I'm a conspiracy! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is that noise? I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway,
0: uh, yeah, it's like just that. It's like a uh, a conspiracy of sport of sorts. The Dolphins' twenty-one point comeback against the Ravens kept the NFL's weirdest trend alive. The Miami Dolphins, since the start of the twenty twenty-one season, have won every game against opponents whose quarterbacks have last names containing the letter O. Mm. Meanwhile, they have lost to every opponent whose quarterback's last name doesn't contain the letter O. Oh, mm. Interesting. Josh Allen, well, I don't think the lack of an O is the reason that they're going to get... Pounded by the yes, bills this yeah, week. Yeah, but
2: the lack but, of an O, the lack of an O, is going to be an L for them in week three. Let's put it this way: the Bills will not have a lack of an O. No, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, looking at the Miami Dolphins schedule, they're in Cincinnati on a short week Thursday night game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow. Mm -hmm. There's an O, so is that a dub? That's a W. Okay, so then they're on the road for a second consecutive week against the New York Jets. Flacco or Zach Wilson both have O's. Mm -hmm. That's a W for the Miami Dolphins. Home against the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins. That's another O, so that's a W, right? Yeah. What's going to put this to the test is the Week 7 matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether it's Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. There is no, no O. o. <laughs> yeah, what have, happens there? Yeah, I have a feeling that that trend's going to end. That trend's
0: going to end? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's over. I think it's over at that point.
2: It's over at that point? Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Could we be living in a world once we get to week seven where the Miami Dolphins are... Six and six one? And
0: six and one? No. 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 Hell D- No. No. No, why would I? I'm not going. I'm just saying. I I don't believe in coincidences. This isn't even a coincidence. This is just a dumb fact. It's
2: fodder, but here's the thing. Assuming that they lose to the Buffalo Bills, are they going to rattle off four straight games?
0: No. No, I I don't see them doing that. I don't see them rattling off four straight. No. Cincinnati or Minnesota will beat
4: them.
0: Eagles off to their first 2-0 start in six years. Who was the quarterback then? Carson Wentz. Yeah. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and ESPN. Plus, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Hey, tune in for college football tomorrow night. Ohio State hosting Wisconsin. It is presented by Dr. Pepper. Coverage begins 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. So, my friend... As we have the Eagles and the Commanders this week, you have Jalen Hurts going up against Carson Wentz, a teacher against pupil, and
2: the pupil- did he really Did he really teach Jalen Hurts anything? I, I don't know. Let's ask Jalen Hurts. Other than time
1: <laughs> I think anytime you have an opportunity um, to to be. On a team like that, um, with a player like him and coaches like like we had um, with their experience, it's um, always a learn learning and teachable moment. Um, and that's any opportunity I have. I try to learn from everything I put myself into or every position I'm in, um, and
2: I learned a lot.
0: So that answer's no.
2: Yeah, basically. Yeah, he gave you 30 you know, you seconds know, you of know, non-answer. You know what he learned? He learned that if you throw 15 interceptions in 12 games, you're probably not going to be the starting quarterback the following year.
0: And he also learned that if you're – other players in the locker room don't love you it's going to be tough for them to follow you exactly and one thing that Jalen Hurts has done exceptionally well so far with the Eagles is earning respect of other players in the locker room they follow him and I think you made a great point that was just so under the radar and you made the point on Tuesday that he went out of his way after Devontae Smith had a quiet week one to get him involved on the very first
2: play in week two Because that goes a long way with players. No doubt about it. And he had seven targets, seven catches. And so that builds trust between those two players. But then other guys in the locker room see that their quarterback has their back. And that matters, especially when your team is dealing with adversity, which inevitably comes up in any season. But the impressive traits that we're seeing from Jalen Hurts, not just the leadership, but the sports character. This is a guy that took his offseason – to go out to the West Coast to get with Tom House and work on his mechanics so he can evolve as a passer. He's clearly spent time in the film room learning how to diagnose zone coverages because that was something that he struggled with last year. And guess what? He checked that box through the first two weeks of the regular season. Can he throw from the pocket down the field with accuracy against multiple zone coverages? Yes, he can. So defenses can no longer do that. You blitz them, they're going to burn you. You see that, obviously, in his his style of play. Not to mention his ability to be a threat as a focal point in the running game. So I think Jalen Hurts is just scratching the surface of what he's going to become. And as he continues to have success with this offense, the confidence of this group is going to continue to build. Now, I did find it curious, Carlin. We just had Sal Powell on. And he said, coming into this game against the Commanders, there is way more pressure on Jalen Hurts than there is on Carson Wentz. And I thought that was a little bit of a, an eyebrow razor just because Carson Wentz's performance through the first couple of weeks have been up and down. Yeah, I mean, look, think about it. He threw two interceptions in the fourth quarter in that game against Jacksonville, one of which led to the go-ahead score. Now, he was able to come back and throw a couple of bombs to Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson that saved him, but you're still seeing a quarterback that's turnover-prone, that makes mistakes at inopportune times. And he's fighting for his career mortality as a starter in the NFL. I don't get that sense with Jalen Hurts. As a matter of fact, Sal said the search for the Eagles franchise quarterback is over. Jalen Hurts is the guy. So it's curious to me how there could be the perception that in this matchup, Hurts has overwhelmingly more pressure on him than Wentz. Because of who they're playing, the city that he plays
0: in, and the fact that Wentz is the quarterback on the other side. And you had the performance that you did the other night – Now it's about stringing it together because what was the knock on Hertz before that the consistency wasn't necessarily there. Sure. He's done all the right things to establish that he's going to be consistent. But again, it's still a case of actually going out and doing it. And let's call it what it is. There is a a pressure that exists from hometown uh, fans when you're going to play not only an ex-rival But a team that you should beat on the road. Now, there are full-on expectations for the Philadelphia Eagles this season. Mm -hmm. There are not expectations for the Washington Commanders. There really aren't. I mean, Wentz is fighting for his football life. I get that. Ron Rivera is fighting to keep that job. Yeah, I get that too. But do we think that Wentz is going to be out of the league next year? and I hate to put it this way, he may not be a starter. He'll be a backup somewhere, and he'll be making $7, $8, 9000000 million. Meanwhile, J- Jalen Hurts has got the hopes of the entire city trying to get back to the Super Bowl when they look around the NFC and don't see very much, and they're off to the start that they are.
2: Yeah, I mean, the ceiling is way higher for the Philadelphia Eagles than it is for the Washington Commanders. There's nobody that's going to push back on that, but I just, when you're fighting for your career mortality as a starter in this league, I just think that it's a different level of urgency that players would have. But then when you look at Jalen Hurts, he's fighting for the opportunity to remain a starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles because they have two first-round draft picks next year and a quarterback-rich draft. So there's pressure on both of these quarterbacks coming into this game. But to your point, the expectations of the Eagles are a lot higher. And so thereby, there's probably a lot more pressure.